Yeah, good afternoon to you. Welcome to Thursday's Richie Allen Radio Show, live from a damp and a pretty grim Salford. Hope you've had a lovely day. Thanks uh, for finding the programme as usual. Reach out to me via the app, via the website. I'd love to hear your thoughts today. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, 25 days of sobriety for the BBG. That's right, 25 days. I'm proud of myself and uh, I'm bragging about it. It's what I'm doing. No beers for me, no Bacardis, no nothing. Nada for 25 days. And I don't miss it at all. I'm saying this, it might inspire you if you're on your own journey and you might be tempted to stray from the path. Don't stray from the path. Stay on the path. It's uh, it's worth it. Anyway, I've got a very interesting lady for you to meet on the programme a little bit later on. Her name is uh, Roseanne Dolan and she will be speaking. Uh, she represents Health Freedom Ireland. Um, I connected to Health Freedom Ireland on social media some time ago. Very, very interesting organisation with a fantastically well put together website. And we'll be talking about a booklet they've produced about vaccines and the things people might need to know about vaccines, what they can and can't do, what they should know, what they need to find out, how to arm themselves with knowledge. It's very interesting. So Roseanne Dolan will be with me later this hour for an extended chat. I've spoke with her today, lovely lady. Can't uh, wait for you to meet her, if you haven't met her before, that is. And a big shout out to our friend Jana London for making the connection. Thank you, Jana, if you happen to be listening today, just after four o'clock. Do you like a point, funnily enough? As a matter of interest, do you like a point? You do, you do. Are you, are you an annoyingly, I don't know, pretentious git? Do you go into a pub and buy all of this IPA shit? Do you engage the bar man or bar woman? Do you act like you walk up to the bar and you, you want to be seen as somebody who knows their shit like? So you go up to the bar and you start asking about IPAs. Do you do all that, you pretentious Wally? I don't. I just get whatever lager is there in front of me or a Bacardi and Coke. Not that, you know, I should be throwing stones when, when it comes to, to anything to do with, uh, with drink. But here's an interesting one. LBC News website today. Have your face scanned or fingerprint taken to buy a drink? New plans for digital IDs for drinkers in pubs and bars. Can this be true? Or is this just more of mis- mischief making by the media? Could it be the case that in the future you might have to have a face scan or a digital ID to be handed a drink? Well, if you look like me, okay, nobody's going to mistake me as being somebody under 21. That's America. But under 18, nobody's going to mistake me. I have no hair and I don't care. I look my age, right? But drinkers face having their faces scanned or fingerprints taken when buying alcohol in pubs, bars and shops under new government proposals. As well as being used in physical shops, people could also use the digital ID system online. Digital ID. Keep it in mind. The plans are part of a Home Office consultation on how digital identities age estimation and other technology could be used to verify people's ages. Currently, currently, if you look young, if you're challenged, you must show some ID with a photograph, your date of birth and a holographic or ultraviolet mark. If you're asked, you must have something like that. 
In practice, this means that currently only physical identity documents are permitted, says the government. No one would be required to have a digital ID, says the government, which is defined as a digital representation of your identity information, like your name and age. But the government is lying. It's a slippery slope. Of course. Uh, don't worry, this is not a digital ID. Well, it is, of course. All roads lead, ultimately, to every man, woman and child, by law, having to have a digital ID. So there's no doubt about that. So that's a Home Office consultation currently underway. What do you think? Obesity is rampant among children because of lockdowns. I've got my finger poised over the Silla Black jingle. I'm not going to play it because it's too obvious. Obesity rampant amongst kids because of COVID lockdowns and the kiddies were kept away from school, told to stay indoors, don't go out playing, don't hug an elderly relative lest you murder them. And the obesity, and and I talked about this on the papers podcast earlier, will stay with many of these children into adulthood, leading to diabetes, to strokes, blood pressure, all manner of nasty things associated with being chronically overweight. The whole shebang. I mean, who could have known that keeping children indoors for the best part of 18 months would have been detrimental to their health? Who could have known? Who said anything about it? Here's a former presenter of a TV show called Fat Families, a gentleman called Steve Miller. And Steve Miller was speaking today to GB News. Steve Miller on childhood obesity. This government did not do, in my opinion, a cost-benefit analysis when they thought about all the terrible stuff they did for our kids during lockdown. Mm. And frankly, the result of it has been that we've put a lot of kids now potentially on death row. The report that's out today, what do you say? More kids now are at risk long-term of diabetes, stroke, and some cancers. I thought lockdown for children was horrendous. It suffocated their lives in such a way that we've never known before. It suffocated their learning. It suffocated their movement. I've also got it suffocated their freedom. So what happened was these poor kids were left at home with their parents and these kids developed these bad habits of of eating lots of junk food. Mm. And and, I do have a degree of sympathy with the parents in terms of how difficult that must have been. So actually... The lockdown was a disaster for children. It certainly was a disaster for children. More on lockdown in a moment. In a moment. Before that, we'll talk a little bit about war. Before that, though, we'll talk about news reported by the BBC News website this afternoon that a Spanish judge, a Spanish judge, has proposed, wait for it, not to his or her partner, has proposed that the former a football president of Spain, Luis Rubiales, should stand trial, should stand trial over kissing the Spanish Women's World Cup winning captain Jenny Hermoso. What kind of fuckery is this? Well, it was all the rage. When Spain won the World Cup last year and beat England in the final, the Spanish women went up to get their medals and the president of the Football Association at the time grabbed the captain and gave her a big smacker on the lips. Ah, there was re-raw August rule That's an Irish phrase. There was commotion. There was pandemonium after this. He grabbed her by the head and kissed her during the presentation after Spain's victory in Australia, said the BBC. She said the kiss wasn't consensual, a statement denied by Mr Rubiales. He's on very shaky ground here. 
How could he claim it was consensual? The video doesn't show him, doesn't appear to demonstrate that he asks her, you know, hey Jenny, any chance of a snog? There's no, there's no evidence that he asked her. He just grabs her. And if he is claiming that the kissing arrangement was made prior to the game kicking off, he'd have to have some hard evidence to prove that. So there was no... There was no consent there. He grabbed her and gave her a big smack around the lips. They're very affectionate to Spanish. Now he's going to trial for it. He's going to trial is where he's going. (laughs) So uh, the judge in the high court in Madrid um, described, wait for the kiss, as not consensual and a unilateral and surprising initiative. (laughs) Spain is wonderful. I was in court a couple of times in Spain during during my years there as an observer and as a participant it's very funny it's a funny setup in Spain so yeah it was a, a unilateral so there was no bilateral talks with the captain before the kiss Jenny I'd like to engage in bilateral talks with you uh, certainly Mr President about what well I'd love to snog the bejesus out of you in the event that you beat England and you ascend the steps to receive the trophy any chance well seeing as you were, were professional enough to invite me to a bilateral discussion about the kiss absolutely Mr President go for it Stick, go for tongues and everything tongues tongues and if you like you can cop a feel cop a feel uh, there was no consent given, but this is madness that he's going to trial for it, isn't it? I mean, in a sane society, he's lost his job anyway. In a in a sane society, you would say, um, Louis, Louis, yeah, Louis Rubiales, Louis, stop it now, will you? Stop kissing women. Stop kissing women that are not your wife. Just stop it. Enough already. Funny that. He didn't, um, it was a unilateral and surprising initiative that they said to judge Anyway, that's not the most important thing we'll talk about today, so let's move on. Unilateral. Lovely stuff. Um, Regarding the obese kids, I'd like to say what I said yesterday. I bet you the Russians are shitting themselves. Anyway, move on. Back, are we back in 1937, Neville Chamberlain, are we? As some warmongering shills like Tobias Elwood, Tory MP, would have you believe. The doomsday clock was moved, wasn't it? This week, the doomsday clock was moved even closer to midnight. We're on the edge of a global nuclear, possibly, conflict. That's what they want you to believe in any case. And uh, we'll talk in a moment about conscription, just briefly, because you're probably fed up of hearing it. Anne Whittacombe, Anne Whittacombe, who used to come on the Richie Allen Show fairly regularly. And we always had a good chat, me and Anne, good chinwag. And then she was scared away from the programme after she saw what happened to Desmond Swain when he came on. And I do miss Anne. She's good crack, great crack, Anne. Gas woman. Gas woman, to be sure, to be sure. Here's Anne on Channel 5 this morning with Jeremy Vine. Are we in 1937 again, Anne? Shall we fight them under beaches and all of that old bollocks? Anne Whittacombe? Well, I don't think there's a 1937 feel. I think there's a 2001 feel when we had 9-11. Now, it's very easy to forget it now, but at the time, everybody thought this could presage World War Three. Presage. There was even a lot of rot talked about how Nostradamus had predicted it. Rot talked. You see, that's a generation. Well, once Anne Whittacombe is gone, we'll, we'll never be able to go back there again. Presage. Rot. Fantastic. But we had a very unstable situation. We had America attacked in its homeland. NATO preparing to go into Afghanistan in response to that. 
We had various states supporting Afghanistan, like, for example, Pakistan, which had nukes. And it looked a very, very unstable, dangerous world. And we've forgotten that. We've actually managed mm. to forget that. Because it wasn't a superpower and thing, that's why. No, it wasn't a superpower thing, but you had American forces mobilised, you had Russia making, you know, noises in favour of Afghanistan. Uh, we forget just how worried people were in 2001. No, Anne Whittacombe, incredibly talented woman, Anne Whittacombe. She was on Strictly Come Dancing, of course, and you probably know, maybe you don't know, uh, at one time she appeared in the Monty Python classic The Life of Brian. Your father isn't Mr Cohen. I never thought he was. No, no, you cheek. He was a Roman, Brian. He was a centurion in the Roman army. You mean you were raped? Oh, at first, yes. Amazing woman, Anne Whittacombe. Amazing woman, Anne Whittacombe. Let's stay with this. Um, we're on the verge of World War Three, and we need to put ourselves on a military footing, at least a mental, mental military footing. They want people in the UK to prepare themselves mentally for the possibility of being mobilised to deal with the Russians. Let's hear a couple of commentators. Uh, former NATO commander... Chris Parry, former NATO commander, uh, speaking to Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio. The fact of life is one of the things that both uh, the situation with Gaza and in Ukraine has exposed is if your opponent can see the bottom of your locker, whether that's ammunition or manpower, he's going to go, OK, I'm going I'm to wear you down. You talk uh, the game, but you can't deliver. That's right. Now, I think the message from Patrick, who, whom I know really well, is the right one. We need to reconfigure our country to face this strategic competition. It's not about just the armed forces. Yeah. The whole country has to gear against the threat from Russia, China, Iran and North Korea. He referred to it as strategic competition, didn't he? He didn't refer to it as an imminent military threat. That's interesting. Julie Hartley Brewer is so thick, so stupid, and she is patently stupid, Brewer. She didn't pull him up on that. She wasn't listening to him. What do you mean, you know strategic competitors and stuff. I thought this was more serious, that we were talking about the possibility that the Ruskies might one day, you know, attack the UK, but she doesn't pull them up. Now, my own view is the solution is different. What we should do is say to people who have been in the armed forces, look, um, for the next five years, we'll pay you a little retainer, just keep your skill levels up, and if necessary, uh, we'll put you in the front line. And a lot of people would sign up for that. But we also have to... I'm afraid, acclimatise our population to the fact that what happens in the 1930s could happen again. Yes. If that's the case, you're going to have to defend your liberties. And it's not enough well, to say this is an economic platform where I just enjoy my life and I have no responsibility. We, we asked our audience about this yesterday. I have to say, I was quite surprised by how many people got in touch and said, no, I wouldn't fight for this country, I wouldn't fight for this government. And I'm like, but would you fight for your... Government. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Do the government. Would you fight for your family, for your freedoms? And, and I think Against who, though? Brewer said she was surprised that her listeners yesterday were saying, God damn, no, no chance would I fight for this government, for this country. And um, she says um, th there should be a separation. Right, you mightn't like the government, but you'd fight for your country. But, but what, where's the threat to the country? You know, c coming from where? 
nobody asks that question, not anymore. I think, you know, my generation, you know, I'm in my 50s. So I'm not. Let's leave her alone. I'm tired of her voice, to be honest. Um, staying with this just briefly, though, another, made, well, another retired general, uh, General Sir Nick Parker, used to be a talking head for BBC for everybody, on the same subject. And he does eventually get into conscription, whereby you would be told, if you were a certain age, that you're, sign- you're joining in. You're, you're going to war. You're going to basic training, whether you like it or not, General Sir Nick Parker. It feels as if there is a change taking place. You know, Russia is camped in a fifth of Ukraine. There have been lots of casualties in a sort of very, now a very static war. The, the BRIC countries are more vociferous. It, it just feels as if the old situation that we were in after the Cold War with very dominant Western democracies is changing and in those circumstances surely we in the UK need to make sure that we are as resilient as we possibly can be and to be prepared to question whether the forces that we have are the right ones for what may happen in the future. And I think it's quite important that one doesn't scare people. This mm. is I think, I think the I think the point is to scare people. But not because they have any genuine plans for conscription. You see, this is the thing. I don't believe they will ever attempt to forcibly um, compel people into military service. I don't believe that. I think what they're doing here is pretty obvious. But it's just my opinion. You tell me if I'm wrong. I think they're scaring people um, so that the public will go along with whatever military spending. You know, if they decide to increase military spending as a percentage of GDP, gross domestic product, if they, if they increase that amount of spending and say that, for example, military spending must be 8% of GDP. At the moment, I think it's about 5 or less. In fact, it's 3% at the moment, I think. So if they said 5 or 6%, maybe the public would go along with it. You know, anything but, but conscripting our young men and women. I don't know. You tell me what you think. He goes on to talk about conscription. But again, just let's just leave it there. You can comment on the programme today at my website, richieallen.co.uk, where it says Comment Live. You can download the app for the show. There is a Richie Allen Show app. It's on the Apple App Store, Google Play. There, if you download it, you can send an instant message to the studio. It flashes up on my screen. And then I read them out as I go along. So do have your say. Uh, David reckons, uh, good evening. Um, he says, uh, you've got to admire Anne Widdicombe for her pluck and for her sincerity, her genuineness, he says. But her grasp of matters geopolitical is frankly woeful. I remember Victoria Wood's hilarious Mickey take of Anne in a Christmas special many years ago. Thank you. Good evening to Lewis, who says, if any of the present Israeli cabinet were to take a DNA test, all would show European ancestry. Not one of them would show any link to Palestine. That's Lewis' opinion. Thank you, Lewis. Screech says, I won't give a damn about digital ID for booze, as I prefer to smoke weed anyway. And I'm pretty sure the person I get it from won't ask for ID, says Screech. <laughs> That's actually a funny image, that. You can imagine your dealer asking you for ID. Your dealer's got a little scanning device. There you are. There you are. Look into that. Okay. I've never, obviously, I've never smoked cannabis. I don't know anything about it. I, I wouldn't have a clue. I'm living in Salford, which is the cannabis capital of the world. There is more cannabis per square metre in Salford than there is in Harlem. In Harlem. Honestly, there is. This has been proven. 
It's an absolute scientific fact. Owen Jones from The Guardian. Um, he, he did this. No, he didn't. So that's it, yeah. I, I mean, you can't move anywhere in Salford without the smell of skunk. Can't go anywhere. It's got its own distinctive smell, Salford. It smells like skunk. Yeah, it's pretty awful, really. But anyway, I don't, I don't have any time for it myself. Never tried it. Uh, Baird says, jabbing the children with a vial full of a science experiment is a bit more of a death sentence than them spending a bit too much time on their PlayStation. Says Baird. Yeah, but what's your point, Baird? I mean, who said that's not the case? I didn't. What's your point? My 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 point would be as the fat families guys, sorry, the fat family guy. His point was that you've wrecked them, you've condemned them, you've completely changed their personalities. You have severely impacted on their ability to communicate with people and get on with people. Um, they are obese in greater numbers than they've ever been obese before. And don't forget, you're mentioning Jabs Beard. What do you think they're going to do in the next two, three, four years when there are more and more stories about children in their teens or late teens, the lockdown children, and they say, look at the condition of these children is terrible. They're going to start rolling out mRNA obesity jabs. In fact, they're already in production. It's nearly 21 minutes past the hour of four o'clock. It's your Richie Allen show broadcasting live from the heart of Salford. Little bit of a spat today. Speaking of war, we're on a war footing today. Uh, a little spat, not much of a spat. Richard Toyce is the leader of Reform UK. In my opinion, he's another Pied Piper bullshitter, right? Another face of the establishment, meant to look like opposition to the establishment. It's mainstream light or mainstream alternative media. He's on GB News quite a bit, one of his gigs. So he's been to Ukraine, Richard Toysas, in recent days, where he's delivered money and supplies to Ukrainians. This guy Tice, right, who um, has big ambitions for his reform party. So he was on GB News with Beverly Turner and Andrew Pierce, and they got into a little, a little bit of a spat about the ambitions of the Russian president, Vladimir Putin. Have a listen. The Ukrainians, they're not only fighting to save their sovereign nation that they love, they're actually fighting for the freedom of the West. Bollocks. They're fighting, fighting in Ukraine for the freedom of the West, says Toys. He knows this is puerile garbage, but he says it anyway. Because if Putin wins, mm. anybody that thinks that he's just going to stop there and that's enough is at best being deeply naive. Where's he going to go then after he secures the Donbass um, and other parts of eastern Ukraine? What is he going to do then? Where's he going to go? No. They are fighting for the freedom of the West because he will go into, he'll go into the Baltic states. How do we know that? Good question, Beverly Turner. What are you basing this on, Richard Tice? Have you spoken with anybody connected to Putin in the Kremlin? Do you know about his plans? Um, what do you know that we don't know? I don't know why politicians talk with such confidence about that. Because they're liars, love. Liars. Liars. What's wrong with this clip? Something is not working for me. Let's hear it from the start again if we have to. Ah, it's frozen on me, has it? I don't know what's going on. Um, that clip is frozen solid on me. I don't know why that is. But they go on to have a spat about the ambitions of Vladimir Putin and Turner basically says to him, there's no evidence whatsoever that Putin and the Russian military, the Russian army, represents any real threat to security here in the West. Uh, Tice got a little bit annoyed with her line of questioning and eventually her co-host Andrew Pierce made it clear 
that he supported what Richard Tice was saying. Surprise, surprise. Nearly 24 minutes past the hour. The Richie Allen Show this week is sponsored by and brought to you by Nutrahouse365.com Joint Support. Back in a moment. If you suffer from joint pain or inflammation, you have probably heard of the benefits of turmeric. But did you know that the active ingredient is curcumin? NutraHealth 365's Joint Health Supplement is specially formulated to reduce the pain caused by joint inflammation, especially during the cold months. Joint Health contains a substantial amount of the active ingredient curcumin, as well as a black pepper extract piperine, to substantially increase its bioavailability, and thereby reaching your inflamed area faster. If the cold weather is making your symptoms worse, and you want relief, Go to NutraHealth365.com and see how our joint health supplement may help reduce inflammation and discomfort. That's NutraHealth365.com with free two-day tract delivery. And it is uh, just coming up for 24 and one half minutes past the hour of four o'clock. This is the Richie Allen Show with me, Richie Allen. I hope... You're listening, and I hope you're looking forward to my guest. I have a really interesting guest coming up for you in a moment. I'm just rebooting one of my consoles here. That hasn't happened to me, would you believe, since the new studio was built last year. We've had the new studio for over a year now, about a year and four months. Nothing has frozen and stopped on me, but something did there. I reckon it was probably trying to update itself. Systems are always doing that at at the most awkward of moments, aren't they? Do you find that, even with your phone and your laptop? They never update, even if you schedule them to update overnight when you're in bed. It's often the case that, um, well, (laughs) they do it when, you know, at the most... At the most awkward of times, as I've said. Right, we might be back on track. A couple of other matters to uh, talk about before we get our guest on. As I said, keep those uh, messages coming into the programme. This is an interesting one, right? You might have it. I don't know. You might see things differently uh, than I do. Holocaust Memorial Day is on Saturday, isn't it? I think it is Saturday. In fact, yeah, it's the 27th, Saturday. And we have talked a little bit about, we've talked on this programme, we've covered it um, over the last couple of years, the provision of the placement of a Holocaust Memorial Centre in Hyde Park, not too far from, uh, from Westminster, right? Um, I've got a big problem with this, and I'll explain it as briefly as I can in a moment. So I will. I understand why you might have memorial centres in and around the concentration camps. And I understand why you might have a memorial centre in Berlin. Berlin was the headquarters, of course, of the Nazis. I totally get that. But um, British men and women, not the army, not just the army, not exclusively the British army and the British military, but British men and women um, did uh, as much as anybody else, to defeat the Nazis and also to take in Jewish children and later on to take in Jewish refugees and um, give them a home and a place to rebuild their lives here in the UK. So British people and the British government had nothing to do with what happened in Nazi Germany. This is why I've got a big problem with a memorial. I have a huge problem with it. And when somebody says, well, it's to remind people, I, I say bollocks. I say monumental bollocks. We don't need any more reminding about what happened in the 1930s in Germany and after that. We don't need any more reminding because we are reminded of it constantly. It's on the curriculum in every primary and secondary school in this country and in the Republic of Ireland. It is relentless, okay? Uh, At least a dozen films come out every year 
There's another one now doing the rounds. It's expected to get an Oscar. There's another film about a family living just outside Auschwitz, a German family. It's never-ending. So there's no danger that anybody is going to grow up in the 21st century and not realise that the Nazis genocided the Jews. There's no need for a memorial. Anyway, uh, Kay Burley speaks with Yvette Cooper, who looks a bit like Marcy from Married with Children, just in case you want to picture her. Yeah, Amanda Bierce, I think the actress's name was. Anyway, she's the Shadow Home Secretary, Yvette Cooper, the Home Secretary in Waiting. She was speaking to Kay Burley on Sky News this morning about possible terror attacks at the site of the Holocaust Memorial. This is interesting. Are you not concerned that when this memorial is up and running, that there might be terrorist attacks committed at it? Um, here's Borley and Cooper on that subject. How do you feel about concerns over terrorism risks at the Holocaust, planned Holocaust Memorial for basically what is the back garden of the House of Commons just across from where I'm sitting now? Well, I strongly support the proposals for the new Holocaust Memorial. So does the, the Labour Party. Surprise, surprise, right? I think it's right that we have something that means that we can uh, have future generations can learn. The survivors of the Holocaust now, there are many survivors, are very elderly. It's really important that we never forget the darkness into which Europe fell, the, the genocide that happened, and that we have that memorial <coughs> and those lessons for the future. What, what lessons for the future are you talking about? This is the... The most frustrating thing about doing this job that I do for a decade, I've, I've done it longer than a decade. This programme is in its 10th year, but I've done it before. I've, I've, I've produced this type of programme previously. What, what are you talking about? What lessons are you talking about, woman? What are you talking about, you useless fucking wench? What lessons are you talking about? What's gone on in Yemen in the last seven or eight years? What do you think that is? What do you think is going on in Gaza right now? So what, what, what's the point of memorials to something that happened 80 years ago in a country that had nothing to do with it? You know, she goes on. I think this is a good location for it. It's next to Parliament. It's next to the heart of our democracy. We have to stand firm against terror threats of all kinds. There are obviously ongoing concerns about all kinds of, whether that be counter-terror threats, whether that be other sorts of national security threats, that we have to have a firm response to wherever, uh, wherever those threats take place. And you would be content for it no longer to be a park that Londoners and tourists can enter without having to worry about security concerns? Well, this is a programme that Labour supports because I think you have to have a, a really iconic uh, uh, location and building. In Why? Why in the UK? Again, nobody has the courage to ask this question. Why does the UK, why does Hyde Park need a Holocaust memorial? Explain the relevance. And if you manage to, I'll support it. If you explain to me why it might be necessary and why it's relevant and you know how it fits in Hyde Park, I'll say no problem. I get you. But nobody asks them. They won't speak to me, obviously. You know, despite the reach of this programme, if you're following me on Twitter or on Facebook, you'll understand what I'm talking about. All right? Massive reach. Um, not interested in speaking to me because I'll ask them these questions. What's the point? There's no... There's no absolutely no rhyme or reason to placing a Holocaust memorial anywhere in the UK. The UK had nothing to do with it.
but they won't ask him. In order to recognise the seriousness, the, the devastation that was caused by the Holocaust... Yeah, we can't get away from it, love. You don't need to have a memorial. We cannot get away from it. You can't escape it. I, got in, I didn't get into trouble. I took some flack a few years ago, just after arriving in Salford, because I was asked by a Jewish person on Twitter, what did I think of the Holocaust? And I gave an honest answer, as I always do. I said, I'm sick to death of hearing about it. Personally, I'm sick to death of it. You know, at what point do you accept that people have heard about it? At what point do you acknowledge that it's been spoken of to death? Yeah, I've heard of it. I'm tired of hearing about it. And a lot of um, Zionist Jews got their knickers in a twist at the time, thought they'd have me cancelled. And of course, they, they were going down the wrong path there, weren't they? Uh, thanks for your messages. Johnny says, Richie, all the black Muslim, Irish and Eastern European kids will never fight for the UK, says Johnny. Don't know, Johnny. Russell says, uh, I also hate the voice of... J.H.B. Julia Hartley Brewer uh, Hi to Maria in Surrey I've always told my kids they can do whatever job they want when they are old enough but they will not go in the military not that they want to says Maria they will not be cannon fodder for the not so great and not so good thank you Maria I, I echo that Gillian says Richie oh thank you Gillian Tommy in Dallas hello Tommy in Dallas how are you and thank you for your message and your recommendation. Uh, Gail says, Richie, not to mention the lockdowns affecting the mental health of children, not just the physical health, and young people, and them trying to get help at the moment is very difficult. That's right, there is a huge waiting list for, for treatment for people, for children particularly, with psychological problems that arose out of lockdowns. You're absolutely right. A day doesn't go by without a story in one of the newspapers printing these waiting lists. If you've got a child who needs some help, might need a bit of counselling, on the NHS, good luck with that. You could be waiting a long, long time. Don is in Walkton. Hello, Don. He says, Bev Turner, you mentioned her earlier on, is a Salford lass and was a Salford swimming champion. I didn't know that at all, mate. Thank you. I am thus educated. Lovely. Uh, Pete says, hello to Pete. He says, Richie, happy Burns night. Haggis, Neeps and Tatty. Happy Burns. And I echo that to our Scottish friends and listeners. Happy Burns night. Have a good one. Uh, this one is from Richie, who says, Richie, listening to Yvette Cooper was like playing buzzword bingo. <laughs> I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I'm trying to open comment live on richieallen.co.uk. And it won't open for me. And for the life of me, I don't know why. Having a Scooby-Doo, open for me. Open Sesame, it's all, it's all kicking off here, isn't it? You know, at times, I realise at times it's dangerous for me to think like this because it's so easy. It would be so easy for me to do it. Sometimes I just get fed up of it, you know. Not you, not the chat. I love chatting with you. But sometimes when little niggly things go wrong, I just think about it's so easy with the studio being a building built inside the house. It would be so easy for me to just piss off downstairs and watch the telly and just leave the microphone fader up and just let the stream go on with nothing in the background. All right, it's 26 minutes, 25 and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Was there one more story I could do for you? I think there's two or three, in fact. Speaking of MPs, did you see this today? They are claiming, members of Parliament, that they fear for their personal safety in this general election year. And they want action to tackle 
what they call a genuine threat to democracy posed by abuse. This is hilarious now. The online intimidation and abuse of politicians, online now. So this is where certain, certain people go online and are so sick of these treacherous bastards, right? Because they are. And they'll say, of course, you know, people like Yvette Cooper would say that I need to be shut down for calling them traitors. They are traitors, every one of them. They all supported lockdowns. They all supported introducing vaccines, uh, giving, giving emergency use authorization to a potentially deadly product with no long-term safety data. They all supported it. So they betrayed the people of the UK. And if you betrayed the people of the UK, ergo, treacherous. You're a traitor. All of them. Every single one of them. I'm, I'm a completely an advocate of... I'm a completely anti-violence an advocate for peaceful, non-violent civil disobedience. Non-participation, that's me. Not violence. I wouldn't see a hair on their heads harmed. Some of you believe in God. Maybe in the next life they will answer for their crimes. But nobody should have the right to run up to them in the street and to scream abuse at them or assault them. You know, nobody. Don't do that. It's a bad road. Nothing good ever comes out of that, right? In my opinion. But the online stuff is hilarious. They're saying that the abuse they receive online is, quote, a genuine threat to democracy. And, of course, this all ties in with the online safety bill going through um, Parliament in this country, gone through Parliament, received royal assent, as far as I know now, OK? And the, uh, the, the, the regulator, Ofcom, announcing that it was going to police the BBC's online content which is bad news for everybody else. So yeah, it's hilarious. These people who do nothing but betray the British people. It's what they do. It is their default position. Betray people. Here's a manifesto for you. Lovely, fluffy, lovely bunny rabbits. Yeah, better schools, more medicine. We'll bring down NHS waiting lists. Lovely, we'll build more houses. That's what they promise you. They get in, they don't do any of that. They just bring tyranny. You know, fascistic tyranny they bring in. So they're traitors, every one of them. And they're a bit worried now by some of the online abuse and they're saying we need to be protected, something needs to be done. And I might finish with this. I posted this to Twitter. None of this is new, but it's important to keep mentioning it as new. Listeners join uh, this programme all the time. All the time people find this show who've never heard of the independent media. They find this show, so let's tell them. Because this is in the Telegraph this afternoon, but I promise you it will not be mentioned on any TV or radio channels tonight or tomorrow. And that is, the COVID inquiry hearings continue. But the BBC is not covering them. You know, it was streaming them live when Boris Johnson, when Dominic Cummings, when Rishi Sunak and when Matt Hancock gave evidence to stream them live. It isn't streaming them live now, but they're still going on. Here's a headline in the Telegraph this afternoon. It's on the website. Presumably, it'll be in the paper tomorrow. BBC misrepresented COVID risk to boost lockdown support, says top scientist. Wow. Tell us something we don't know, but it's interesting. Uh, Professor Mark Woolhouse, an eminent epidemiologist and government advisor, lambasted the BBC for having repeatedly reported rare deaths or illnesses among healthy adults as if they were the norm. He lambasted the BBC. He said time and again they reported a rare death among a healthy adult 
as if it was a normal thing. He said this created the misleading impression among BBC News viewers at the beginning of the pandemic that, quote, we are all at risk and that, quote, the virus does not discriminate. In reality, he said, it was known at the time that the risk of dying from COVID was 10,000 times higher in the over 75s than the under 15s. 10,000 times higher in the over 75 category than under 15s. And he said this was known, but the BBC did not correct its reporting, saying, he said, Woolhouse, I suspect this, is, this misinformation was allowed to stand throughout 2020 because it provided a justification for locking down the entire population. He said further evidence of this was provided by a briefing dated March 22, 2020 by a subgroup of the UK government's Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies. That's SAGE, by the way. A briefing from SAGE dated March 22, 2020 stating that a substantial number of people still do not feel sufficiently, sufficiently personally threatened. Sage said a substantial number of people still do not feel sufficiently personally threatened. It could be that they are reassured by the low death rate in their demographic group. The perceived level of personal threat needs to be increased among those who are complacent using hard-hitting emotional messaging. And Woolhouse said this misperception created by the BBC's coverage that everybody was at risk was a barrier to targeting interventions at the vulnerable minority who truly were at a high risk from COVID. That is in The Telegraph this afternoon. Okay, it's uh, 19 minutes now to the top of the hour. This is the Richie Allen Show. It is Thursday. It is uh, January 25th, 2024. Let's uh, read a couple of quick messages before we move on. Robert says, Dr. Robert, he calls himself, Richie, we hear non-stop every year about the Holocaust. Why doesn't the media discuss, he says, the true identity of Lenin, Trotsky, Stalin and the millions who died at the behest of them in the gulags, says Robert. It's a good shout, Robert. Max says, my MP may as well be invisible. Hi to Vicky. Hello, Vicky, who says your website isn't opening at all. I've just gotten on there, Vicky. There's a lot of traffic there today. Um, I thought, you see, when I launched the app eight or nine months ago, whatever it was, I thought it would ease the traffic on the website. And it did for a while, but the traffic on the website's been increasing in recent days, and I don't understand it. And it's a bit weird because the, the, the website's going to be overhauled by the spring at the latest. So I'm just not really doing much with it at the moment. I don't have time. I'm sorry if the website's a bit slow. If you can hear me, download the bloody app to your smart device. Do. Our app, Broadcast Radio, created it for me. We don't keep your data. There's none of that. We don't do any of that stuff. Keeping data, your, what, what did they call it? Cookies, none of that shit whatsoever. None. Right? We don't know who you are. Don't know anything about you. Download the app, send messages, listen to it. It's very simple. It's all it does, uh, really. Gaz says, military conscription, he says, might stop immigration. I doubt it very much, Gaz. But uh, as I've said many times on this programme, you've heard me say it. What the bloody hell do I know? I'd say, I know a little, but not a lot. 
Uh, it's the Richie Allen Show, Thursday's program. My name is Richie Allen. Here's a lovely tune. And coming up then is my first guest. You don't want to miss her. Gonna find my baby, gonna hold her. Uh, thanks for your messages on the monologue. I appreciate them. Keep them coming in. Um, let's introduce our first guest then. Um, as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, it's been a big week in this country for vaccines, for child vaccines and for adult vaccines. And what I mean by that is there's been a concerted effort on the part of the NHS and the broadcast and print media here in this country in recent days to get people to look into their vaccination status, uh, particularly around kids and measles. Big uh, panic this week, Monday and Tuesday, about measles, about an outbreak in the Midlands and kids haven't had their jobs and Andrew Wakefield and all of that old jazz. We've spoken about it at length this week. Um, Health Freedom Ireland is a really interesting and I think a very important organisation. I've mentioned the website already, healthfreedomireland.com. Do check it out. And they've recently produced a booklet, which we'll, we'll talk about. Um, we're going to be joined right now by um, none other than Roseanne Dolan. Now, Roseanne works with Health Freedom Ireland. She's a mum of two, a nine-year-old boy and a three-year-old girl. She'll talk about the booklet and what Health Freedom Ireland does. But she had a very interesting experience herself um, a few months ago. Um, Her husband and herself had decided not to vaccinate their children. One of the children went to hospital and then they were asked about the vaccine status of the child, and that was very interesting. Listen, let's just welcome uh, to the programme, and by the way, any questions, any comments, send them in, and I will read them out as we go along. It's a big hello, a big diagwit to Roseanne Dolan. Hello, Roseanne, how are you? Good, thank you, Richie. Good, thank you for, for having me. No, thank you for having for, for, for coming on. You had a crazy mad day today. You were in libraries with loads of kids, and it was all yes. kicking off, <laughs> and you managed yeah, to get that's home. True. And you got the hobby to look yeah. after the kids while you came on here. So I really appreciate that. And it's uh, exactly. it's always great to talk to somebody back home. Thank it you. really is. So um, we have plenty of time. Health Freedom Ireland. What is it and why is it? Why did it come to be? Um, well, I just got involved in, in Health Freedom Ireland a couple of years ago, but it's it's been around for a while before that. And basically it's all about... Um, parents um, and people in general having informed choice when it comes to any medical interventions, um, whether it's vaccines or whatever it might be. And just so that that people have all of the, the information on it, they have the facts, um, not fear mongering, just facts, um, and then they can make an informed decision on whether or not they want to vaccinate or, you know, um, have whatever intervention it is. Um, because I think people should have the choice. They should be able to give every single vaccine on the schedule if they want, do any medical interventions they like, but they should have all the information before they do that if they wish to. And the thing is, Roseanne, this is important because it is mm. the case, and I've I've read over the years in the what we call the mainstream media, the the broadsheet press, long before COVID, I read stories about surveys that had been done that people willingly went in to get jabs. Like you might be going, I went to Central America years ago. I didn't get a jab. Mm. I was given some tablets. Yeah. But other people got the jab. And it was a wonderful article. I think it was in the London Times. And it, it showed that pretty much everybody who went in for a jab, no matter what it was, never thought to wonder, Roseanne, just exactly yeah. what was contained within the jab. And that's kind oh, of crazy when you think about yeah. it, isn't it? I know. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember myself, um, you know, before we went on honeymoon, we went to Malaysia. We were not trekking through forests or anything like that. We were in a hotel. Um, but I remember scheduling, you know, I need to go to the doctor now and get all these jabs because the travel book said to. 
you know, it wasn't even a doctor or anything else. It was like, that's in the yeah. travel book that you need to get this, that and the other vaccine. So off we went and got all of them. And, you know, and it's crazy when you think about it, like, you know, because you do far more research if you're buying a TV or anything else as to, you know, what it is like. So fortunately, um, I did research them, you know, before we had children. And um, I spent a lot of my pregnancy reading about vaccines, both sides of it, because I remember being terrified that, you know, well, what if my child dies of measles, you know, like and something like this, like it'll be all my fault, you know. Um, but I read and read and read. Um, about it. So I've been researching for nearly 10 years now, like he's, he turned nine a few months ago um, and we're so glad that that we didn't vaccinate. And in fact, I now want him to get measles, <laughs> you know, because as Jane Donegan was saying on your program a few days ago, um, there it does seem to have um, beneficial effects actually in, in later life. So it's it's kind of come a long circle like and um, with the, the booklet that we wrote with Health Freedom Ireland, what we wanted to do is make that process easier for parents. Just get all of the facts in one place. So the booklet um, and the information that we have on the web as well, we, we don't have all of them on the web yet, but some of them are up there already. Um, they it, It's all very factual, um, you know, so it's ideal for the skeptical person to read because we want people to question it. We want them to do their own research and make up their own decisions and not just accept that what's written there. But if you look at, at the, the, the web content we have there or the booklet, you will see all of the data comes from official sources. So the Central Statistics Office, the um, HSE, which would be the equivalent of the NHS in England, the HSPC, you know, all of those, like it's all um, data from those sources and, you know, very official data. And people can look at it and then they can assess the risks of the vaccine um, and the potential risks of it and the potential risks of the illnesses, you know, and then decide accordingly for their family. And uh, it's healthfreedomireland.com. And of course, I'm going to put links on the podcast notes yeah. later on. Roseanne, when you decided, you and your husband together, of course, a joint decision, mm-hmm. that you yeah. wouldn't vaccinate the youngsters, that I think that's yeah. a particularly brave decision. And it's one, if I was ever blessed, if we were ever blessed with a child, it's one we would take. Did you have any, I wouldn't say flack now, but did anybody pull you aside at the time, like maybe your own um, families maybe, and say, Jesus, that's a bit strange. Why are you doing that? And... And and if you could think back, what was the reason at the time that you decided not to? Um, well, it definitely wasn't a snap decision. Like it was, it was as I said, the, the result of a lot of reading and research about it all. But the more um, I read about it, and the more I researched, the more I realised that you know the the benefits did not outweigh the risks. You know, um, and I can't say what it was in particular. It definitely helped going to Jane to lectures that Jane Donegan did. Actually, I must say, um, they were really really excellent and laid out the all the facts on it and you know gave a lot of reassurance on how you do look after a child that's that's ill and and things like that so i highly recommend um recommend checking out her website and her um lectures that she does um i don't particularly remember having a lot of of pushback um from people um there were a few comments here and there but luckily enough the the gp there that i attend was was supportive of that um so that was good and with the public health nurse I think that she just sensed that I was confident in my decision and that that I'd researched it a lot, so she didn't actually really push it either. Um, so no, we didn't really. Now, so over the years, we've had a few trips to hospital with my my eldest, with my son, for injuries, never for illness. He's a very very healthy child, um, um, but we've had a couple of uh, trips to hospital for 
various injuries and always a tetanus issue would come up but you know that's it was it was never really an issue um i do remember one doctor once it was clearly sent in to lecture me about it but i kind of felt sorry for her really so i didn't <laughs> say much because she, yeah. you know um so but in general it was fine like you know so yeah no it didn't really get much pushback and the the lad was um i think he had to go in um before christmas and this is interesting yeah. here because because yeah. you i suppose if you take a child into hospital anywhere now whether it's ireland or the uk they will b- probably have a sheet of questions they want to ask and one of them was about his vaccine status tell us about that and what they wanted yeah. to know yeah, well, basically, any time we've, we've gone into hospital with injuries also, they always say, is he vaccinated? And um, so I said no, and they were like, any of them? And I said no, so they ticked that, so that was fine. Um, so what happened was he he had a chesty cough, and then he was just very low in energy, and his breathing was very, very fast. Um, so we, we rang the doctor, he suggested, or he recommended that we bring him into hospital, so we did that, um, and that was two days before Christmas, which is really mm, not great timing. Stressful, yeah. Um, and so we went into hospital and then um he um so we were there for a little while so he was okay though like he wasn't in distress or anything he was alert he was sitting up and everything um but his, his breathing was fast um so anyway we went in they did triage they asked us about the vaccines we said yeah i said he hadn't been vaccinated um and then um a short while later there, there was a doctor came in and then they sent in a different consultant and I started asking him about the options and he said, well, we want to give antibiotics because it could be sepsis. And I said, OK. And, you know, because I want to understand all of the, the the options and the pros and cons of, you know, if we do this or if we don't do it or if we delay, I said, well, OK. And how about if we don't do the antibiotics? What's what's the implications there? And he said, well, in that case, we call the guards. Wow. So, yeah. And I think he was about to add and child services, except he saw my reaction. And I was just like, whoa. So I was prepared for, you know, fear mongering and so on and so on. I was not prepared for that, you know. No. So I was just like, wow. And I was like, you call the guards. So he didn't say, well, this is the risk to his health or this is what, what might happen if you don't give the antibiotics. Or generally X percent of people have, you know, it, it could be sepsis, but, you know, in such a percentage of cases or anything, none of that. It was just well, if you don't give the antibiotics. And I was like, well, can we not just delay and see how he does? Like, and he said, um, I said, what if we do that? Like, for example, like at this point, I had no idea. Like, would we give the vaccines or not give the vaccine? And obviously I was going to talk to my husband as well. And um, he was looking after our three-year-old. Um, and then, um, yeah, and that, that was it. That was the choice. Like, uh, you, you know, you get the antibiotics or else we call the guards. That, you know, which was crazy. And look, and and I, I've no reason to doubt you. I don't doubt you. I mean, I, I can, yeah. I can see how that would have yeah. happened. I mean, I read. Yeah. You've probably read as well once or twice. We've read once or twice over the years about how a child might have needed a blood transfusion urgently, and m- yeah. mum and dad might have religious beliefs, and they might say no. And and you mm. could you could kind of understand if a panicking doctor who doesn't want to lose a mm. child, you know. I might say, yeah, well, listen, course, yeah. sorry, sorry, I might have to call the police here because I think the child is in imminent danger. In your case, none of that. The child was not in imminent danger at all. And he was he invo- fine. And he, well, he oh was at that God. point upset because he realised he was going to be in there for Christmas. <clears throat> but he wasn't upset for any other reason. You yeah. know, he wasn't in distress. He was fine. And um, And the thing is, 
I believe the fact that they knew he was unvaccinated was the reason for the heavy handed approach. So I think it was two things. One, um, and he, he mentioned to me about some court case that's on at the moment where a child was sent home and um, it turned out it was sepsis. Um, so there's some court case on about that. So obviously he's afraid of being sued. He doesn't want to be that doctor. Um, and the other thing is he it was our vaccine status, I think, because when I went back to him a few minutes later uh, to say, well, look, we'll go with the vaccines because we don't have a choice. And he said, yeah, there's no choice. And I said, well, no, you didn't give us a choice, you know. Um, you know, he um, said he made some comment about Wakefield, so which didn't make any sense, actually, either. And I said to him, well, what do you think Wakefield did? And he said, well, he um, he did a study and they found the measles um, um, they, they found the measles virus in the gut of autistic children. And I said, that's not what happened. I said he did a study and they found that these autistic children had gut issues and that they'd had the MMR. He did not say that the MMR caused right. the the um the problem. He just said that they'd had the MMR and more study was needed. And he said, oh, well, I wasn't aware of that or something to that effect. And I said, yeah, well, you have your wrong information on that. So I believe that in his head, um, you know, um, you know, we're reckless parents who um or we're parents who are reckless with our child's health. Therefore, he needs to go in with very heavy handed approach of. We call the guards. We'll call the guards. You see, I think you in, know. I think in our countries, now I should say our country because both of us are Irish, but I live here. In, mm. in the countries yeah. we live in, there, there has been a conditioning. People have been conditioned through the media into believing yeah. that parents who are a bit nervous about vaccines, there, there has been a conditioning where, whereby people do think that those parents are a bit crackers. There, there is that. There's no doubt yeah. about that. You yeah. know, and yeah. it's a terrible shame this because the parents who are concerned about what, what is in vaccines are the furthest thing you can get from crackers or crazy or conspiracy theorists. Yeah. They're the best parents you could ever meet in your life. You know, I know so many parents. Yeah. And, I, and I know there's anecdotal evidence, I, even more. The children who don't have the scheduled vaccines definitely have better health outcomes when they get into their teens and into their 20s. There's no, no mm. doubt about that. None. In fact, mm. the, the, the pharmaceutical companies, and you correct me if I'm wrong uh, here, Roseanne, the pharmaceutical companies for years have done everything they can to prevent academic studies where you get a control group of 10,000 oh, yeah. children who get nothing and then 10,000 yeah. kids who get it all. They're terrified yeah. of that. Because then you'd see. I definitely, but but I've actually just finished reading a book, um, called "Vaxed Unvaxed" by um, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And it's amazing because there are little bits and pieces of studies, um, that have been done uh, sort of inadvertently at times, you know, where they do compare vaccine, um, um, vaxed versus unvaxed, and it's excellent, you know. Now they need to do proper big studies, um, on that, you know, and and like you say, they've been absolutely avoiding that. Um, but that book is is really good, um, and there is a doctor um, in the US as well um, whose name escapes me right now. But he's done um, in his um, GP in his um, practice, which is quite big. Um, he's done a study of the vaccinated versus partially vaccinated and unvaccinated children, and like it's just incredible. Like they they, they don't get ear infections, they don't get asthma, they get way less. Um, you know, learning disorders, all of those things are far far lower in the unvaccinated children than it is in the vaccinated or partially vaccinated. And that's you know, that's so 100% true. I, I, I wish I could argue with you and throw in a couple of um, spanners there to try and get a bit of, um, you know, a bit of a discussion going, but it's true, I can't do that. A lot of um, messages coming in from our listeners. Uh, before we get to them, healthfreedomireland.com. Folks, check out the website. The booklet is there. Arm yourselves. You know, know the steps. You should know everything about everything that is put into your own body 
um, and more importantly, the bodies of your children. Know the ingredients, know what the potential harms are. And as uh, Roseanne mm, did and her husband true. many years ago, weigh up the pros and the cons. You know, m- might I be better off without it? Do I really need it? What's the risk? Um, what's the cost and all of that? We, we can definitely mm. come back to that, but I want to ask you, because of the ages yeah. of your children, um, yep. you will be aware, of course, that back home in, in Ireland and, and here, um, it is becoming more and more apparent that lockdowns were devastating for children, for their physical yep. and mental well-being. Now, you yep. were clever enough in, and I'm, I'm not patronising you, but you knew in March 2020 that something was very wrong, that lockdown mm-hmm. was crazy and it wouldn't do any good at all. It was going to be worse than the cure. Knowing all of this, did did you and your husband kind of set out from the outset were you determined to make sure that you that your kids would have as normal an experience as they possibly could when everything else was going crazy around them when people were keeping their kids indoors don't hug granny and all of that were you very much aware of all of this absolutely and i'm happy to say that um they were not um affected by any of that at all because we have um plenty of like-minded friends so they were meeting with friends and things all of the time and they were certainly not hiding indoors you know thankfully my daughter was um born in um october of 2020 um and born at home thankfully so we managed to avoid a lot of that um stuff in the hospital as well so uh yeah they they certainly were not Um, and because we have uh, lots of like-minded friends with children as well we very much avoided all of that so like we followed it for the first couple of weeks because I was pregnant and somebody said something to me that made me think oh god maybe we should you know um but then that was it like a couple of weeks in it was clear like that it, it was just it was just crazy you know so no we didn't we didn't go along with all of that you went you went along with none of it yeah and, and just no, look, look, no. looked on aghast from the sidelines like everybody else did thinking what the yeah. hell is going yeah, on yeah, here yeah. you know there's a yeah. ver- very interesting story developing this afternoon here which is relevant everywhere it's not just relevant to the uk yeah. but one of the government's um epidemiologists one of their chief advisors a guy called Woolhouse, uh, he's been speaking to the COVID inquiry here today and he has lambasted the bbc for misrepresenting uh data during march of 2020 and April of 2020, basically when they were taking what would be a rare death, so somebody young might die of COVID, and the BBC was treating this like it was normal, and that it was the you know it, it, it was uh, the norm for 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 healthy people to die. He said it created a misleading impression amongst viewers yeah, that the pan- okay. you probably yeah. see and, and of course you, you again I I'm not at home, but RTE. The Irish National Broadcaster was doing the same things as the BBC, right? Scaring everybody. Oh my god, it was it was horrible, you know. And like the thing is, like it's just, I, I mean, it was the the cause of so much death, you know, because they scared the old people into taking the the vaccine, and they just they just frightened them so much, and it was just a horrible thing to do. And like they suppressed um the treatments, you know, like Health Freedom Ireland was actually involved in a campaign where we sent a letter on hydroxychloroquine. Um, to every GP in Ireland, we we wouldn't have had the funds to post it to all of them, but we actually organised volunteers all over the country to um, print off and deliver them, hand deliver letters to every GP in the country about hydroxychloroquine, um, because if it was an effective treatment, and then ivermectin came along after that, and there are many effective treatments, but that was all suppressed, 
um, by the, the RTE. They never mentioned anything like that. They didn't even talk about things like vitamin D until way further in. You know, it was absolutely criminal what they did. You know, they would not see any other side of it. Um, there's somebody else in Ireland, Diver Cummins, who's really good and giving um, factual information yeah. on what was happening. They would not interview him. You know, it's it's it was beyond belief, really. Like, and I I just I haven't listened to it in years now. I couldn't. It's bad for my stress it, levels. That's <laughs> right. Know, it, it really was terrible what they did. It's hard to stomach it, isn't it? Um, Roseanne Dolan is our guest, and Roseanne is here today on behalf of HealthFreedomIreland.com. Health Freedom Ireland, I should say. The website is HealthFreedomIreland.com. It's a really brilliant website, by the way. You know, a, a lot of um, groups. There aren't too many groups like like yours, but those who do, who try to get this stuff out there, um, it's often difficult to create, you know, all singing, all dancing websites. But yours is lovely. It's very important that because when people, when people log on to it, it's important that it looks legitimate and that it feels legitimate, and uh, it certainly does. Uh, the booklet is very important. I, I'm sure it'll be incredibly useful. Uh, to people, yeah. uh, to, to parents, young parents, parents of, of kids who are older, because as we know, Roseanne, there is a yeah. huge campaign to get boys and girls I to know. have the HPV vaccine. And yeah. I shouldn't say this, maybe, because I'm supposed to be impartial, but I can't ignore it because it's a fact. The Gardasil version of a, the human papillomavirus vaccine, it's done a lot of damage around the world and it's done a lot of damage to young women in Ireland, hasn't it? Absolutely. There's a group in Ireland called Regret um, and they have a lot of information on that on, on their website. Um, we don't have the HPV on our, our site yet, but we're working on it. It's a slow process doing all of it and we're yeah. a group of volunteers, so we're trying to get through it all as best we can. Um, and on the, the content that we have on the website, we have um, studies for and against them. We have all the information on the ingredients. So, you know, we're we're doing it slowly because we want to make sure that everything that we have there is 100% correct, that people can, can rely on the information. And I would definitely suggest suggest that you know if you know um pregnant mothers or people with young kids or like you say people coming up to those teenage years where they're going to start offering them the hpv send them to our website you know buy them the booklet just send it to them you know um because it really is invaluable and i'm i'm so thankful that we found out this information when we did and this is an effort to try and make it easy for people to just have all the information at their fingertips so they can show it to their sceptical spouse or doctor or, you know, whatever it might be and, you know, have the facts there to make the decision. And then and then if they decide to vaccinate, at least they've made an informed decision. That's right. You what know, we call informed consent. Based on, you know, exactly. Well, well yeah. said, Roseanne, I, I do a phone in regularly and they phone in from everywhere and a lovely gentleman whose first name escapes me phoned in because he attended a... He, he went along with his own daughter and her daughter. So he went along with his daughter and his granddaughter. The granddaughter is very young and she was going to get first vaccine. And despite um, our listener saying to his own daughter, maybe you should think about not giving the jab. The daughter was determined that the kid would have the jab anyway until they got to the doctor's surgery. And um, granddad said to his daughter, do you mind if I ask the doctor a question or two? I won't make a nuisance of myself, I promise. Anyway, great relationship, uh, dad and daughter. So she said, go on, dad, go on. So he asked the doctor, he said, you know, this vaccine you're going to give my granddaughter. And he asked a series of questions to the doctor, to, to which the doctor had not a single answer. And the doctor know, became a bit flustered. Beca yeah, became a bit flustered and a little bit annoyed. And that was sufficient for the daughter to say, He's getting flustered. He's getting annoyed. I tell you what, I yeah. think we will probably leave and, and we'll think about it yeah. and we might get back to you. 
you know and, and that's something to talk about isn't it? How, how few doctors actually have any idea about what is in this syringe that you're going to stick in somebody's arm yeah. they don't know it's it's really crazy. Like I mean, they they just they do very very little training on on vaccines. They basically just know, um, they have this notion that you know a vaccine prevents all these diseases and all of these horrible diseases are gone because of vaccines. And um, you know, people that don't do this are crazy and uh, win the schedule is, and that's pretty much it. And I had lots of comments when we were in the hospital with my my son over Christmas, like you know things like them saying, "Oh, unvaccinated children get sicker with this kind of thing," and which is ridiculous. Like you know. I'd say most unvaccinated kids are not in hospital um, in the first place. Um, and then, you know, are they calling unvaccinated because they didn't get their COVID shot? Just loads of anecdotal things, you know, that they couldn't back up. Like I had a conversation with one doctor where she was saying, oh, um, you know, all, the, all these diseases have died out because of vaccines. So we were talking about measles, which I know is topical there um, in, in the UK right now. Um, and she said, oh, well, we have different diagnosis now. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I mean, for measles, I mean, doctors back then, they saw it all the time. They knew what measles was. And the deaths from measles had dropped way down before the vaccine was even introduced. And she said, oh, well, the diagnosis was different and we'll never really know. And I said, but we do know, like, we know how many cases there were. And the other thing that I was thinking about afterwards was the outcome we were talking about was death so you're either dead or not dead that's not really like you know a grey area yeah. Um, but she was trying to say diagnosis of measles was different and that's why you know when in actual fact like measles deaths from measles had dropped you know was practically on the floor already before the vaccine came in you know and you know, that's the case for a number of the different vaccines, you know, um, that they, it already dropped way down. I heard um, Jen Donegan refer to that in your program on Monday that, um, you know, there are, and, and, and deaths drop from other ones that there aren't any vaccines for, like scarlet fever. And how did that happen then? <laughs> you know, like, so it just doesn't make any sense. And they had so many anecdotal things they would just throw out or comments they would make. And that's the issue, like if your child is in hospital and they know the vaccine status they do they do treat them very differently and i don't think they would even be able to identify that themselves because their biases are so strong that vaccines protect um and things like that that once they're aware of that it's very hard to decipher like how much of what they're saying is because they know that your child isn't vaccinated you know like are they going in more aggressive with the antibiotics because they think they'll just pick up everything or that they get or the comments like you know unvaccinated kids get sicker with this kind of thing or you know things like that like it's very hard to go okay would they say the same thing if my child was fully vaccinated as they're saying now do they want to do 14 days of antibiotics just because of that or because they think he needs it you know, like so, I can. Un- I used to think that people um, didn't reveal vaccine status, um, because they just didn't want the aggro with the doctors or the conflict. And I actually quite like having conversations about about that. And the doctors were very respectful when we did speak about it, um, um. But now I realise that, you know, a reason that people might be hesitant to do that is because their child will be treated differently from a medical point of view, you know, and may get, you know, interventions that they don't need. Yeah, I, I you know, don't. Yeah, yes, and you said this to me off air today, and listening to that, I'd be inclined again. If we had been blessed with a child, we wouldn't vaccinate. And in the event the child was a, a stuntman like your little fella and was going in with <laughs> yeah. uh, with uh, with the odd bruise and the odd scrape, I'd be inclined to say, yeah, yeah she's got all the jabs or, or he's got all the jabs let me read a couple of quick comments and then in the yeah. time we have left I'd love to ask you a little bit about homeschooling if you don't mind healthfreedomireland.com is the website 
we're, we're, we're chatting with Roseanne Dolan. Uh, Diane says, there's one word putting an end to the vax, no vax debate. Amish, says Diane. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have good them. Uh, good point. Yeah. Jonathan reckons Paul Thomas is the doctor, Paul Thomas, who did the vaxxed um, slash right. unvaxxed yes. study. Yes. Uh, thank you, Jonathan. Um, let's hear from uh, Cookie. Uh, let me bring this up. God, these. Uh, I'm at, you know, today of all days, I have friends who are big into astrology. There must be. Um, Mercury, what did he say about Mercury when there's a communication issue? Anyway, I've, I've had a couple of um, studio meltdowns, computers today, so I'm all over the place. Here we go, Cookie. My friend's daughter had two years in bed after her jab. Doctors said it was typical teenage attitude. This is after Gardasil now. Luckily, she's doing okay now. Sadly, took the experimental jab and had side effects from that too. And I interviewed some of the regret families on this program some years ago. I mean, do you remember the gaslighting of those families, what they were telling them? I mean, these girls were yeah. destroyed by these jobs. And you had yeah, um, former health ministers, yeah, basically saying they were making it all up and that it was, um, they even brought in, they even mentioned things like Munchausen, didn't they, and stuff like that, anything but, um, but except that the jobs themselves might, yeah. be, might be causing these injuries. Yeah. yeah. But I, I wanted to ask you about homeschooling. Because yeah. again, you homeschool, and again, we mm -hmm. made all these plans, me and the missus, but without having any kids, we made all these plans, and our plan was was we would never send the child to school. Obviously, you would do everything in your power to make sure that the kids had time with kids, lots of time with kids, yeah. and, and running around with kids, but that the schooling wasn't, well, we, we didn't feel safe with it. So, why? Why did you decide, no, not going to school, we're, we're going to do it ourselves? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, and I remember actually when only a few months after he was born, um, I had some friends that were saying they were going to a homeschooling meetup and they invited me to go. And I said, but we're not homeschooling. And they said, oh, come along. You know, people let it anyways. And it's just having a cup of tea and whatever. So I said, OK. And a friend of mine was there and she said, oh, you'll be homeschooling yet. And I was like, I know. I think that's going a bit far. I yeah. don't think I'll be doing that. <laughs> you know, and he's never been in crash or school a day in his life. Um, so I, I, I started reading about it too. And we, my husband and I talked about it a lot. And like basically, um, for me, it's the idea that children naturally learn things at different ages. You know, one child learns to walk when they're nine months, another learns to walk when they're a year and a half. Who knows the difference of two? They're both running around just the same, you know, and people accept that there's a kind of a, a difference in age of, of when children learn different things like that. Well, it's the same for things like reading or maths or anything else. Like they learn when they're ready to, you know, and like if you applied the the idea that, you know, they should all learn by the time they're four and a half or whatever the age is to read, to walking, we would have a country full of, you know, children with walking problems. But people realize, you know, they'll actually learn it when they're ready, but except when it comes to academic things. And the other thing is, too, I think, like, let's say you had a child who's in school and they don't learn to read at four and a half or five or they're struggling with it. They're going to be learned as, you know, put in a box of being slow at reading you know and then maybe they're brilliant at maths and they're like bored into tears in that because everyone else is still doing one to ten and they're able to you know add up numbers in their head and whatever so I think you can get caught in that like whereas when you're homeschooling and, and that sticks like I think there's a lot of adults can identify with that where they feel like oh I'm really stupid at maths or I'm not very good at academics or things like that and I think it can be from when you're very young and you kind of get this idea when maybe you were just weren't ready to learn that subject just then or you weren't interested yet or you didn't really have any motivation for it for whatever reason 
Um, so it's kind of to avoid all that. And then obviously when COVID came along, I was really glad we were doing it. <laughs> um, and it's been amazing, like, because like he, our son taught himself to read when he was seven because he's really into board games and he didn't want his opponents reading his cards because if they did, well, then they knew what his cards were and they had an advantage. <laughs> so he was motivated to learn it. And he did within a couple of months, you know, we gave him a, um, an app um, he kind of did it for a while dropped it did it for a while and then he just learned somehow at that somewhere there and then now he's reading he's just read three harry potter books he read one of them while he was in hospital um over christmas and he's reading those so it's grand like and like with figures and things like he was really good at maths always like so i think he would have been bored in that you know so right. i'm delighted and like from a social point of view um, that because that's the thing that people always bring up as though homeschoolers lock their children in a basement that's right of course you do else, yeah you, you know? never say the light of day yeah. um <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, he's very, very social, <laughs> you know, um, it's a full time job just keeping up with, you know, him meeting friends and things like that. He would play with kids on the road Um, you know, he goes to all sorts of activities and tours and all sorts of things. He's into darts at the moment. He, so he plays that once a week. He goes to board game meetups. He um, we go to various tours. There's a great homeschooling community in Dublin and um, some fantastic people that organize lots and lots of activities. Um, and then there's the hen group as well. They're a great resource for people that want to find out more about homeschooling. Um, hen, um, and the the home education network network, um, and yeah, I'd, I'd highly recommend it. Wow, you've well, you've sold me yeah. on it. So, a couple of quick <laughs> questions on that. Um, what? Yeah. How? How does the state approach homeschoolers? So, d are you obliged, you and your husband, to provide some evidence that your children are? at a certain standard that the state might demand at a certain age? No, no. Well, it's actually in our constitution that the parent is a primary educator, something that I certainly wasn't aware of. Uh, neither was I. You've know. educated me, yeah. Roseanne. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, it actually says it in the constitution that the parent is a primary educator. Um, and no, um, basically, once they turn six, you send a, a form into Tusla, who are the Child Protection Agency. I don't know why it's Tusla. It should be the Department of Education. But anyway, um, they you send a form in to them to register. And um, so we did that when he turned six. Um, and you basically outline what your plan is, you know, whether you plan on following a curriculum or not following a curriculum. We, do, we don't follow a curriculum, so it's called unschooling, actually. So we don't do sitting down lessons at the table kind of thing at all. We just follow his lead and support his interests. Um, and my husband brings him to a board game meetup every Saturday for example um so you fill out that form you send it off and then they uh, do a preliminary assessment where they come and talk to you not to the child and um, they talk to you about your plans what you're doing and everything um it actually took over two years for us to get the preliminary assessment um because there's such a backlog there's so many people wanting to homeschool now and it was it was grand it was just basically a chat about how's he doing and what what are kind of ideas are on it and that's it really like so um i don't know if there's another assessment at some point i presume there is um but that's basically it it's, now, it's pretty straightforward yeah and if when when they turn 17 and they might think about third level now traditionally yeah. in ireland i think it's still the same you would need to show leaving certificate results in um in in your application yeah. to go to a college or a university so would that be complicated for your children when they get to that age because they've not been in school? Yeah, well, um, there's loads of different options, actually. Um, 
Um, so they might decide that they want to go to school before that, which is fine. Yeah. Um, you can also do things like you can sit the Leaving Cert externally. You can um, also do the GCSEs um, in Ireland, um, which is better because you don't have to do loads of subjects at once. You can do a couple at a time. Um, you can do FETAC courses and get different qualifications and get into college that way. You can go to college as a mature student at 23. Um, you know, so there's loads of different routes into college of if that's course, what they want yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, and so it all depends on what they want. But there is actually a lot of different routes to college without just straight going to school, doing leaving search, getting your points and going to college. There's but a lot of different very ways good that point you can do that. that. Yeah, I mean, mm. my, my, my path was to, to delay a couple of years and then go yeah. in. Um, Kareen asks a question, why... Did Roseanne choose not to follow the curriculum? Was there anything specifically that you didn't like? Uh, no, no, I'm just, it was just reading about unschooling, you know, and that the whole philosophy around that of that they learn through their interests. And that's certainly what I found with, with um, what we found with our son. Um, he, um, he just learned these things, you know, when he wanted to, like he learned to read because he wanted to, because of the board games, you know, um, he was always really interested in maths. Um, he's just read a, a kid's book on anatomy recently that he really liked, you know, um, Kay's Anatomy, I think it's called, you know, and all sorts of facts. And I mean, I'm sure everybody knows kids who will just rattle off all kinds of facts about, you know, whether it's football or whatever it is they're interested in. And you're probably asking yourself, oh my God, how come they don't remember stuff in school like yeah. this? But it's once they're interested in a thing, they just pick it up and they learn other stuff by osmosis in the process, you know. Um, but there wasn't anything in the curriculum we had any problems with. No, no. An old friend of mine and um, his wife were homeschooling. And um, I went yeah. to see him. Um, he was um, more of a colleague than, than a friend, but somebody I liked. And I went to see him and I was fascinated. I went to see him during the week. And up I went in the morning. Um, he was living in North Manchester. And I couldn't believe it. So there were his... Um, daughter and his son um, I think seven and five I think and bright as buttons breezy interested and they had books you know they weren't school books yeah. now they weren't curriculum books but they were books like proper books and they were reading and they were drawing and um, I was mesmerised I mean I was absolutely convinced of it you know mum was saying every now and then right are you reading this and are you doing that and what do you think about this and I thought to myself, this is the way to go. There's no doubt about that. And I'll share this with yeah. you. Um, th there's a teacher in Cheshire who would, would, would love to come on the programme, but at the moment she can't. But she said to me, now, I haven't got the email in front of me, but she said to me that she, sent, she said goodbye to her primary school students last summer. I think they were third or fourth form, I think. And she knows... She knows that five of them didn't come back the following um, um, September. So last September they didn't come back. And shared with me in an email that it is suspected the reason they didn't come back was because of the relationship and sex education curriculum changes here in the UK. Yeah. That a lot of parents are very uncomfortable with the children yeah. being exposed to materials that really are a bit, you know, they're a bit adult for kids to be contemplating. Yes. Do you hear yeah. much of that then, Roseanne? Yeah, definitely. And I like, I think, you know, you know, parents know like that some kids are, are ready to hear about some of that at very different ages to other kids. So I really don't think you can do a blanket thing of, you know, they're all 10 now. So let's tell them about, you know, you, you can't do that. And also, um, I'm, I wouldn't agree with the gender ideology being taught as fact in schools either. Like, I think that's 
very problematic, you know, and I don't think it's just confined to one subject. I get the impression, I could be wrong with this, but I get the impression that it's kind of being brought in across all subjects, like teaching that, you know, children can be, you know, male this week, female the next week, and whatever, you know, <laughs> like right. it's, and I think that's confusing for children. Of course it is. And it's just like, it's just damaging, you know, so yeah, I, I think that's very harmful. Um, so, yeah, it's another reason that we're glad we homeschool. Rosanna, um, we're, we're out of time today. It was lovely to meet you. Thanks for coming on. But, and thanks to Thank Jana you. for introducing us. Healthfreedomireland.com is the website. Resources there for parents who are, you know, who want to know a bit more about what yeah. they can and can't do around vaccinations and to, to look into whether the vaccination is for you or not for you, what you need to know, the questions about the ingredients. It's, um, I think it's great yeah. work and it's hugely important. So well done to everybody Thank concerned you. and um, don't be a stranger when there's news give us a shout and come back on it's great to be speaking to people back home great it's lovely to see, talk to you too it is thanks Roseanne lovely to meet you and bye for now Thank you. Bye now. That's uh, Roseanne Dolan live on Thursday's Richie Allen Show. Roseanne was speaking on behalf of healthfreedomireland.com. It's a great website. I can't recommend it highly enough. Do check it out. I will be back with you in around about 40 seconds time. If you suffer from joint pain or inflammation, you have probably heard of the benefits of turmeric. But did you know that the active ingredient is curcumin? NutraHealth 365's Joint Health Supplement is specially formulated to reduce the pain caused by joint inflammation, especially during the cold months. Joint Health contains a substantial amount of the active ingredient curcumin, as well as a black pepper extract piperine, to substantially increase its bioavailability and thereby reaching your inflamed area faster. If the cold weather is making your symptoms worse and you want relief, Go to NutraHealth365.com and see how our joint health supplement may help reduce inflammation and discomfort. That's NutraHealth365.com with free two-day tract delivery. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at RichieAllen.co.uk. And it's just under 28 minutes to the top of the hour. You're Richie Allen with you today. It's good to be with you. To be with you, good. Well, thanks for your messages, by the way. Um, Sarah says, Richie, um, she sent me two messages. Um, thanks, Sarah. I've, 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 I figured it out. I know it's not easy when you're texting on the app quickly. It's difficult to read back what you've read. I do know that. As Sarah says, she homeschooled her daughter five years ago when her daughter came home and told Sarah that they are setting me up to fail. The other two kids stayed in mainstream education. Sarah says she's an LSA in senior level. In her role, she's uh, involved in reading intervention groups um, where a seven uh, year old, well, sorry, where a year seven kid who's aged 11 and a year nine kid aged 13 could be in the same reading group. I don't agree with it because the child really struggling feels like he or she is failing to Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. Really appreciate that. Um, hi to Pavlova. How are you? Soon, due to the global warming, um, we might have compulsory vaccinations for tropical diseases, says Pavlova. One of the reasons why the World Health Organization and Big Pharma is suddenly so interested in the climate change scam. You know what, Pavlova? I, I, yeah, I'm open to every possibility now. Because many of the things I once thought, well, they'll never do that. They're doing them. 
they're doing them. And can I just put something out there? Please feel free to shoot me down. Shoot me down in flames, by all means. Because I am prone to the odd crazy comment. You know, I don't think things out. Sometimes I don't think things out sufficiently before opening me big fat gob and blurting it out. But um, first of all, I'm going to I'm going to send myself flowers. I'm going to give myself an ice cream. I coined the term climate lockdowns. Now, you know this because you listen to the radio show. I'll never get credit for it. And I don't want credit because I'm not that I don't have that much of an ego. I do have an ego. We all have egos, but I don't care that in 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 centuries to come, I will not be accredited with coining the term climate lockdowns. But I did. It's no joke. I did. Um, in March of 2020, I'd never read the term before. I'd never heard the term. And I said, we'll have climate lockdowns as sure as damn it. And of course, I turned out to be correct. Correct. And um, yeah, so I did. I coined, And to be fair, one or two very, very well-known people in the indie media have been kind enough to remind others that Richie Allen was the first person to say this. Look, I'm, I'm, it's not a bragging thing. It's just the only bloody thing I ever predicted. <laughs> that came true. Give it to me. Now, I said came true so that you might spit out your tea or your ginger ale or your double Jameson's on ice because you're saying, what do you mean it came true, Baldy? It hasn't come true. Well, it has. Shall I explain to you how it has come true? Oh, go on then. You've convinced me. Right, climate lockdowns are here already. Here's my bullshit explanation. Shoot me down in flames. What happened last week and the week before? In Scotland, in Scotland, and in the UK, in, in, in England, Scotland is, of course, for the time being, it's in the United Kingdom. I'll tell you what happened. They told us that Storm Isha, or Irene, or I don't know what the bloody hell it was called. Now we had Storm Jocelyn. But last week they warned of a very severe storm, didn't they? It's a very severe storm. And what did they do? Let me tell you what they did. Before any bad weather appeared, before the wind even rose to force three, they cancelled train services and bus services in certain parts of the country. And people couldn't get to work. Now, are you going to look me in the eye and tell me that's not partly? Am I stretching here? Is this a stretch, is it? That, that doesn't amount to a type of climate lockdown. It was, wasn't it? They said we were expecting some very bad weather. Therefore, we're going to cancel certain services and we are going to reduce other services, meaning that people were trapped and couldn't get from A to B and had to remain at home. That is tantamount to climate lockdown. I know I've just said it three times. What do you think? Am I talking bollocks? You've heard me talk bollocks many a time, so you shouldn't be too surprised if indeed I am talking bollocks. But yeah, I remember when they announced, when Johnson announced with that very sombre, that very heavy, you know, the weight of the world is on my shoulders, bullshit speech from Downing Street when he announced the lockdown. Within a day or two, I had a eureka moment on the Richie Allen show on this programme. And I said, Jesus, when you think about it, what, what, I, what I thought was, it came into my mind at the time that with everybody staying at home, no driving, very little driving, um, 
flying, basically disappearing. Lots of other activities, industrial, being suspended, building coming to a complete standstill. I thought, you know what they'll do? I said this in March of 2020. I said, you know what they'll do? They will announce that the lockdown has been really good for the climate. They will announce that we locked down because COVID was deadly. But you know what we found out in the meantime? We found out that we produced um, 2,000% less CO2. And I said this on the radio at the time, and I said, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't take advantage of it, and if a climate lockdown is not in our future. And then, um, yeah, it turned up in a newspaper some weeks later. Somebody talked about a climate lockdown. In fact, Sky News ran a story where I got a mention. They said um, that I was a crazy conspiracy theorist, Sky News, and said that I was talking about climate lockdowns. And shortly after Sky News ran the piece, where I was laughed at for, you know, mentioning climate lockdowns, um, in India, people were told to stay indoors because of the air quality. And I said, is that not a climate lockdown? You know, the air quality is so bad, people were told to stay indoors, do not leave your homes, lest you become very ill. Anyway, look, you'll have your opinions, richieallen.co.uk, or download the app and send an app to me. So my question to you is, does it constitute a lockdown? What they did last week, I can't remember. Was it Isha? Storm Ursha, Isha, whatever it was. We had a 36 hours where it was pretty windy. And some old geezer crashed his car into a tree that had fallen across the road. Dickhead. And it's, it's not that I have no empathy. You know, there, there but for the grace of God go I. I do drive. You know, I don't want to be tempting fate. If God exists, I don't want God up there on the cloud sitting there with the angels and the harps. Ah, Baldy, ha, huh? he thinks it's funny that some old bloke crashed into a tree, does he? Ha, ha. We'll see. So, um, holy God, if you do exist, I'm not taking the piss out of the old man. But one bloke died in this storm to end all storms, storm of the century, which was nothing really. It was nothing. The storm they declared to be a deadly storm. It was nothing we've never seen before. And yet, in the, in the days leading up to it, they cancelled transport services in certain parts of this country. And somebody in the Telegraph wrote about this, and if I can bring it up in a moment, I'll bring the article up. Uh, somebody wrote about how the, how the, how the weather is being wep- weaponized to scare people. Now, he didn't go as far as we would go, uh, as I would go even, in talking about um, how they're weaponizing pretty routine weather systems, routine weather systems that we'd expect to encounter year in, year out, but that um, they're, they're weaponizing them in order to scare people into accepting whatever measures they decide to introduce to mitigate against climate change. And it was Ross Clark who wrote in The Telegraph this week, the 23rd of uh, this month, so what are we, so Tuesday, Ross Clark Feeble Britain needs to stop catastrophizing the weather, he writes. Okay? Wait for it. Can I read this? Can I read this? Because he, he really does a good job here, Ross Clark. So he writes, Apparently Britain was lashed by hurricane force winds on Sunday night. How do I know? Because I read it in the news, he says. I presume this conclusion was reached by taking the highest gust speed recorded by the Met Office. 99 miles per hour at Brisley Wood in Northumberland and comparing it with the minimum wind speed 
used to define a Category 1 hurricane, which is 74 miles per hour. Given that 99 is higher than 74, then bingo, Britain suffered hurricane-force winds. There is just one problem. 99 miles per hour was the speed of a gust recorded at one exposed location, while 74 miles per hour is the sustained wind speed required for a storm to be declared a hurricane. There is a world of difference, says Ross, Ross Clark, and he's right, this is excellent journalism. Excellent. So they took a single gust of wind at 99 and said, see, this is catastrophe. It was only one gust. Where to be declared a hurricane, a wind has to be sustained. It has to be sustained for a time period at 74 miles per hour. The highest gust speed ever recorded in Britain, in fact, was getting on for twice what was recorded on Sunday. And that was 173 miles per hour on the summit of Cairngorm in the Highlands, recorded in March of 1986. For most of the country, Storm Isha was more like a 30 mile per hour storm. And this week's Storm Jocelyn looks like it could be slightly less. The maximum wind speeds were a long, long way from a hurricane across our major cities, more like a standard UK winter storm. This is excellent journalism by Ross Clark. And I double-checked his figures this week, and he's bang on, 100% right. There was nothing unusual about the weather this week. But he goes on to say, listen now, listen. He listened. Facts do not seem to matter when it comes to our growing fondness for catastrophizing the weather. We forget it was only in 2015 that the Met office began to name storms. It did so cautiously at first, but now we have got to the point when any half-hearted Atlantic depression is personalised. But give a storm a name and you can lead people to believe that Britain really is about to experience a hurricane. Emergency plans can start to spring into action. Schools close. Train companies have a convenient excuse to limit services and the police start instructing us not to travel, which is what happened last weekend. And that's where I say again, do I have a point when I say that climate lockdowns are already here, even if they don't appear to be? Even if it seems rather benign when they say we're cancelling trains because of what's coming and the police start telling people not to travel because we expect it to be terrible tomorrow. Look at the colour-coded, the, the colour, uh, the, the, the coloured chart, the chart of many colours. We are, we, are, we are at amber, meaning that damage due to a storm is, is, is likely. All of this bullshit. Catastrophizing the weather, he says. Weaponizing it, I would say, and using it to introduce the concept of climate lockdowns to people. Get people conditioned to the idea that things can be suspended in advance because, well, we know that next week we know that we're um, heading for some pretty bad weather, you know? It is 14 minutes to the top of the hour. I'm Richie Allen. This is the Richie Allen Show for Thursday, the 25th of January, 2024. 
Music from Blue Oyster, Coat Don't Fear the Reaper. Faisal says that's more of a weather lockdown than a climate lockdown, he says. No, climate lockdown. And, and I say that because they are pretty quick to link the weather to man-made climate change and to tell us that the, the storms, which were not even storms, that's the thing, you see, that Clark outlined in his brilliant piece in The Telegraph on Tuesday. The storms themselves were, were not hurricanes and were certainly nothing new, nothing we haven't had for centuries in, in the UK. But I would say climate lockdowns, uh, Faisal, not to be pedantic about it, because they're linking this weather, this normal weather pattern in January. I mean, Jesus, when you think about it, you know, when have we not had high winds and gales in the winter in this country, but linking it to man-made climate change and telling lies, as Clark says in his article, lying about it, saying that this is unprecedented, when it isn't unprecedented. It's not even a sustained 74-mile-per-hour wind, therefore it's not even a hurricane. But uh, not, it's not semantics. I would say, no, it is. It is the beginning of, I suppose, I can't say for certain, it's a theory of mine. It's only a theory. It's not proven, but it um, it might be the, the 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 early shots, basically the, the the first shots, whereby trying to get people acclimatized, no pun intended, to the idea that it's okay to shut things down, services and other things, gatherings and whatnot, and say it's because of impending weather, and then blame the people who are inconvenienced by your shutting down because of the impending weather. Blame them for it by telling them, and by the way, it's your fault. Um, these uh, events are becoming more frequent because man-made climate change. That's the, the, the you know, the irony, I suppose, here. Uh, good evening to Colin G. Uh, right, there's more messages I've got to read, and then I'm going to take my leave of you. Not before I give a big plug to Sunday Morning Melodies, which is, uh, which is a show I look forward to every week. It is a music programme, two hours, Sunday at 10am, that is uh, Greenwich Mean Time, yeah, GMT. 10am uh, GMT, till 12 noon. It's some easy listening music. Some of the songs I play have got interesting backstories, and we have a chat I chat with you as the listener. It's not everybody's cup of tea. I totally understand that. If it is your cup of tea, it'll be with you on Sunday. I'm looking forward to it already. He says, even though I'm, I've been a bit tired this week, it hasn't. It hasn't shown up in my performance, if I, if I, if I dare say so myself. I've been pretty lively on air. But uh, I don't know. It must be a winter thing, is it? I, I, I said this yesterday. S-A-D. I don't know. We get such little... We're exposed to such little daylight aren't we? I mean, when we get up, it's dark. When we get, when we finish work, it's dark. We spend our time in offices or, in my case, my, my home office. But you don't get a lot of fresh air. Well, you do. I mean, I'm, I'm out with the dogs and I do go running, but you don't get a lot of sunlight. And maybe that's it. Maybe that's impacting on, on us. I said, which, which did result in me receiving a lot of emails. I did say that I didn't feel like I was any less fatigued 24, it's 25 days today, but 24 days yesterday since having a beer. And that surprised people. I had emails from people saying, you must feel it on your runs, Richie. 
you must be running better and doing better times. And I'm not sure, really. I think the times are pretty consistent. And yesterday I ran a five-miler. And I felt there was nothing in my legs yesterday morning. Nothing. I don't know if you run yourself. And you'll know that sometimes you'll find your legs are empty. And you feel like you can't actually complete the run. It's not a regular thing. It's an infrequent thing. Very rare, even. But yesterday I could barely get home. Yesterday morning. Now, this morning I was okay. I ran a pretty decent time. And I didn't feel too bad. But uh, the idea, I, I, I thought... My my last beer was because I, you see, I don't wait up for the fireworks on New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve is my birthday. So I have a few beers during the day. My birthdays are very, very, very low-key affairs. Uh, partly, number one, because I'm Billy No Mates. I don't have any friends. There's that. Uh, well, I do. I have one. My, my only friend is my missus, really. There's there's my missus. <laughs> and, uh, and my canine companions. And uh, it's not that I don't have any friends, but my, my life friends are in Ireland, my, my childhood mates. I have mates here, mates who I enjoy uh, the company, I enjoy their company. But you know, I, I don't see people very often, that's, that's what it is really. So New Year's Eve, few beers um, early, I fall asleep before midnight always, and I'm in bed. And I haven't had a beer since then, and I thought that I would really notice that now in terms of energy and dynamism. And I don't notice it. I don't feel it at all. I don't feel worse. I don't feel better. I thought to myself about a week in, I thought, because you were a fairly serious after-work drinker, which I was, like serious, like regularly, and at weekends, I thought, right, you're going to have withdrawal symptoms and you're going to struggle for a few days. You're going to want to drink, but then you're going to feel like a million dollars. None of those things happened. I didn't want to drink. I didn't have any craving for it. And it hasn't improved my... I'm not euphoric about it, and I'm not full of energy. I'm full of energy on air, because I always am. I always look forward to the radio show, to speaking with you, chatting away. But um, it hasn't given me a bit of oomph, I thought it would, you know. Anyway, I suppose if you were a scallywag, you might say, well, I'll tell you what, Richie, why don't you give it all of February 2 and see if it changes then? No chance. <laughs> no chance. I do enjoy a beer when I watch my, my sport. That is it for me today. Thank you so much to Roseanne Dolan. Healthfreedomireland.com is the website where you will find the booklet. Get on there and do check it out. I, um, as I've already said too many times, I'll speak to you again on Sunday at 10 o'clock UK time, Sunday morning for Sunday morning melodies. If that's not your thing, we'll speak again on Monday on the Richie Allen Show at 4 o'clock. But there will be a papers podcast tomorrow. The papers will be online tomorrow sometime before 7.30am UK time. Alright? So the papers will be online tomorrow. The papers podcast next time, Sunday at 10, next time after that, Monday at 4. Have a fantastic weekend. And thanks for listening to the show this week and thanks for supporting it. From your BBG, it's over and out. Bye now, bye. So, so you think you can tell Heaven from hell